Hi, everyone. It's Hamish. And Mal. <laughs> We're still trying to work out how we <laughs> play this thing. Uh, welcome to Full Bleed, um, a podcast about haemophilia. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we are delighted to be joined by our very first guest ever in the history of time. Um, you will know him from The Hunter mm. from No Brow Press. You'll know him from Homunculus uh, from Shortbox. Shortbox, yep. Um, he is the Eisner nominated. Joe... Uncomfortably Eisner nominated. <laughs> Joe Sparrow. Hey, how's it going? Great. Um, so, we got you on because we obviously enjoy your work. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, I guess I was going to say we have not really had a guest for us, so we don't know how things are running. And I, know, I realize I'm doing a lot of talking right now. You're presenting. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Before we ask you some questions that we hope to ask all of our guests, mm-hmm. and eagle-eared listeners will remember from episode one we asked each other some of these um i did kind of want to talk to you a bit about homunculus Mm. um and like where it came from Mm. why it appeared why it is yeah yeah um well i guess the like the reason it happened is because i got contacted by zainab who runs uh the short box platform i'm not sure i I guess it's like indie publisher is what you would call Mm. it um, which is a uh, sort of, it's not a subscription-based service, It's it just happens four times a year, I think it's a quarterly thing, uh, where she'll collate a box of five comics, um, like specifically ones that, sh- that with the intention that they'll kind of sit together well, um, and you find out about who the, com- hom- the, the creators of each comic is, um, and then it's crowdfunded, it's done on Kickstarter, and yeah, you, you basically pay, I think it's like 30 something pounds, which is pretty good value for considering the, the sort of the quality of the comics involved, I, I say. Uh, but um, yeah, so she co- she got in contact with me um, like a little, little, like towards the end of 2017, I think, and uh, asked me to sort of submit some ideas for a potential comic to, to do for one of those boxes. And I think Homunculus was the only idea that I that I submitted. I think in the past when I've talked to publishers, I've kind of done a bit of a shotgun tactic of giving them like a few different ideas. Um, but having done that a few times, they I always find like if you give people a few options for stuff like that, they quite often go with the one that you least want to do. You know what mm. I mean? So I, for this one, I just said, okay, this is a story I want to do. It's about uh, a... It's something, because I, I didn't really know exactly what it was going to be at, at the start, but it was something to do with a scientist that builds an AI, and there is some apocalyptic event, and the AI gets sort of dug up by people in the future. That was like the really rough, bare-bones idea. Um, so that's that's kind of how it happened, and then I sort of produced it over the first few months of 2018. I think I finished in like May. Um and then it came out a, a little while after that. So it was like, it was a pretty quick turnaround in terms of publishing, I guess. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to talk about like, <laughs> sorry, tell me if I'm, if I'm rambling. It's um, an interview. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But like, yeah, I just, I don't know when to stop otherwise. Is uh, Havunculus the longest comic you've worked on? Yeah, it's 70 pages long. Um, but it's a little bit of a cheat in that respect. I'm probably being like too self-effacing calling it a cheat, but it's um, 
uh, its length isn't like its page length isn't necessarily reflective of the length of the story because it's it, the way I've set it out is that every page of the comic is just three panels, so it's like three landscape panels, one on top of the other, um, and that's the standard for the entire comic. Like it never deviates from that. Mm. Uh, the idea being, I really wanted to show the the kind of the passage of time uh, in a in a kind of uniform way and also it's all told from the point of view of of this ai that gets built um so that was a way of kind of and the ai can't move the ai is literally just a box on a table basically um so you're just seeing through a little camera embedded in its in its front um and making every panel the same like that seemed like a, a way to convey the fact that the character isn't moving around at all yeah well hamish and i in previous episodes we were talking about um what you would use panels for and what purpose they would serve in the narrative because mm. I always find myself drawn to what's the most exciting panel composition mm -hmm. and Hamish is like I have um, panel templates that I mm. use if I'm doing a long book um, mm -hmm. and so you're sort of kind of a combination of both mm. like a set um, a set template but because it fits the um, uh, the narrative of the story yeah no it's definitely it, it's definitely like, it's not cheaty as well. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know. It's definitely like it's very clever. It's only like the only reason I sort of say cheat the word cheat is because it's like one of the reasons I chose to tell the story in the way that I did is because because I knew that I basically I, this was whilst I had a full time job um, as a as a character designer. So like, I was working every day, uh, you know, nine nine to six, nine to seven, on character design stuff for my regular job. And then basically doing this in the evenings and weekends. So I, and I had like a deadline, like I had a hard deadline because the box was going to come out. Um, so one of the tactics that I came up with in order to sort of allow me to do like a longer, like a longer book in that time uh, was to do this, this specific layout because it allowed me to re kind of reuse a lot of the backgrounds. Like, cause mm. um, it's a fixed perspective. yeah, like the fixed perspective of the story meant that you could, so the whole first part of the story takes place in like a in, in a lab, like an engineering lab. Um, so it meant I could basically draw, like work out the layout of the engineering lab. Um, and then the basic layout stayed the same, but then little little elements could move around because obviously like day-to-day -day life in this place, mm. like the clock changes in the background and the weather is sometimes different and stuff like that. Well, then when you decide to change what happens, you've mm. already said it's a post-apocalypse thing, mm. so I'm not spoiling it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it it makes it that much more powerful when you completely destroy what we've come to know in the story. Yeah, no, that was... I, I felt quite good about that. <laughs> it was very good. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Um, just a uh, weird question. Mm. Do you ever see the AI itself in the book? Mm. It's on the cover. Yeah, it's on the cover. Um, you see it in one, one panel very early on. Um... The, the AI's creator, who's a scientist called Veronica, I should remember that, I should, shouldn't like, you know, pause there, but yeah, uh, Veronica, um, she is explaining, like, to the AI what it is um, at that point, and she shows a, a photo that she took with it, like a selfie. Um, mm. So you see it in that one panel, but it's it's quite minimal. I just like, like I, I just like that the, the cover itself is, like, telling part of the story. Yeah, yeah. no. That's, I think it could. It probably could have just left it at that, honestly. But um, I just like the idea of this little selfie yeah. moment. <laughs> but yeah, 
I one thing I really wanted to do with the the fact that it's about an AI, like I I've wanted to tell a story, some do some kind of writing about a artificial intelligence uh, for for a while, uh, but one thing I really wanted to do was kind of deviate from the what's becoming a little bit more popular nowadays, which is like people making AIs and sci-fi stories and then being humanoid, like mm. women a lot of the time, like, mm. you know, sort of sexy ladies and stuff. Um, so not that that's, you know, there's anything intrinsically bad about that, but I just wanted for it, it to be very like attractive. And, and... What is this human thing you call sex? <laughs> well, I, 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 I would have to show you. <laughs> yeah. Please, I insist. Yeah. Um, the Born Sexy Yesterday trope. Yes. Um, well, I want, I guess we could lean into, obviously I asked you why this comic exists, mm. but why comics in general? Why comics? Um, yeah, that, that was, that's a really interesting question. <laughs> it's quite open-ended. Uh, I like, I mean, I've liked comics since I was little, um, which is probably the same for a lot of people because it feels like, like, I think one of the reasons I really like comics is because they're very, um they're very digestible like you you can kind of can just consume them very easily if they're well if they're written well um like they can convey a lot of information which is something that i enjoy um i love information yeah information's great it's delicious mm. but yeah basically like i just find them really easy to read um and in a way where books like literature um, novels and stuff like that can sometimes tire me a little bit. Um, I would say that's, I mean, I'm sure there are people that would say, oh, I can read seven books a day or whatever like that. But like, I feel, I feel like a lot of people from maybe from our generation, uh, find books, can find books a little heavy going, um, and comparatively comics I find. I mean, comics are being used more recently now as a way of engaging, uh, kids that find reading difficult Mm -hmm. into literature. Mm. Um, so it's definitely not something that is, like, unique. Um, yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, because I would read, I'd read a lot of, um, I remember reading Sonic the Comic a lot in, as a kid. That's always, like, something I'd point to as, like, oh, this is, this is, like, an influence on me wanting to do this. Uh, which is the, f- I guess for any listeners familiar with the, the English, the Fleetway, I think, is the name of the publisher. You, are you aware of these? I am aware of the... UK having an entirely different Sonic comic canon and like, yeah. history. It's it's so weird. Like uh, and all of this, I obviously only became aware of like much later on. Um, but there was an English publisher who put out a official Sega licensed um, like comic, um, and yeah, I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was amazing. And and again, like it's influenced by a lot of stuff that I would later go on to like really like as well like there's a bunch of stuff like there's a whole plot line with uh, knuckles knuckles the echidna finding like a floating island and awakening some ancient robots and then later on it's like oh it's like it's lapita it's li- <laughs> like they even look like the robots from lapita it's like it's mm. amazing um but yeah and it's the art was really great as well um but i found that really cool and my dad would like read that to me when i was a kid and stuff so like it was yeah so they've always sort of been in your life, like comics, and encouraged by your parents as well. Oh yeah, so yeah, my dad. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say they they're in my life, but like I've I've enjoyed reading them a lot. Uh, and my dad has always been really into them. Like he was into them as a kid as well. Um, so we always had that sort of thing to talk about and connect sort of over. Um, like he's, um, 
a lot of I I know we're gonna go pro- probably gonna talk about stuff like this later on, but like with regards to like indie comics and sort of un- underground comics, um, a lot of my interests in that were kind of informed by him by him as well because he was into a lot of that kind of stuff as well. Um, people like Chris Ware and like Joe Matt and what's his name, the Joe Matt's friend Chester Brown. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, so people like that. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't remember my mum being super into comics, but yeah, my dad was was like big into them and still is to this day. Um, yeah. I'm kind of in like with Homunculus, you did the sort of stayed rigid to that panel layout, mm. and in the Hunter, you tried to make a whole comic with like say tried you did mm. uh, like <laughs> pixel art. Yeah, and I do. I wonder if there's an element of comic making. Do you like having restraints or like mm. challenges? Yeah, no, I do. I find that really useful in like any kind of art, honestly, um, because I I'm one of those people that really suffers when uh, presented with like just a blank piece of paper and just like okay, you've got to do something. So like uh, with yeah, like like you said with the hunter, that was all. Um, I'd sort of approached that with this weird pixel art style. Uh, which was inspired by a comic that I'd done a, a few years earlier, just like a sort of something that I'd self-published. Um, but there's something really... There is something very restricting about pixel art um, as like a style, a medium, I don't know what you call it. Um, because obviously there's there's only... You can only go so fine with the detail and not being able to go any finer than like a pixel wide. Uh, I've, it meant I had to come up with some sort of solutions for certain problems and i yeah i do i enjoy that a lot um and i guess yeah with homunculus as well like restricting it to the one point of view there's there's like i think when you give yourself restrictions in certain regards um it makes you come up it kind of forces you to come up with ways of making it interesting despite them or working with them or working around them so yeah i i, I like that kind of stuff a lot I don't think you actually answered why comics, though. Why comics? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I sort of said why... I said because they're easy for me to, to read. and that f- why, why I make them? Oh, why make them? That is a good question. Uh, I'm not even sure... Maybe you need to change the question. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I like no. It, it's open-ended in a... In a, in a very open-ended. No, it's, no it's, it's completely valid. Um... I think, I think I make them, so it's, it's like with any kind of art, like you make, that's like what we were talking about earlier, like you make the kind of art that you want to see in the world, ideally, that, that feels like a good, a good way to sort of set out what, you know, doing whatever, um, and comics sit in a, in a realm where like, they they are achievable, um, kind of, you, you can, I mean, maybe it's not the healthiest thing in the world, but it, it is possible to sit in, if, if you say, I'm going to write a comic and produce a comic, you can just, like, every evening, you know, sort of peck away at it a little bit on your on Photoshop or whatever, and just do it on your own and put it out there into the world. And I think particularly at the moment, like, with the small press culture being the way it is in the UK and elsewhere, but, like, obviously I'm mostly familiar with how it is in the UK, um, it feels like it's very very welcoming to people who want to do that. So I think it's it's like a good 
it just feels like a good activity it's it's something that you can do yourself you don't have to sort of invest too much into it um whereas say if i wanted to be like doing animation which is another thing i i enjoy animation is much more of like a group activity and you have to put like a lot more you have to get people to help you with it usually um takes a lot more time or it can do i don't know does that make sense at all like it's something i can kind of do by myself a little bit um and i'm quite a i'm a bit of a control freak as well so like or with my art at least so it's nice it's something that i can do and i can control all the sort of variables in it and twi- twiddle all the knobs and stuff and get it how i want it to to be you're uh, in good company yeah <laughs> yeah um but i suppose um art versus story mm. do you have a divide of which one you prefer do you come to the comic with a visual or with a story in mind Mm. I think we're two camps here. Okay. Because Hamish is quite story mm. and I'm quite visual. Right. Uh, I usually come into it with a story idea first, um, but I try and get into the visuals of it as soon as possible after that because I feel like if I work too too much trying to think about a story in, in the abstract, like in my head for too long without it without it sort of manifesting somehow in paper it becomes really hard to sort of to do that for it for it to sort of become real um so usually like with homunculus so i i came up i came up with the the rough idea first and then very quickly i literally thumbed out um the first like basically thumbnailed out like some key panels that i wanted to be in the whole thing Mm -hmm. and i and it's a shame like i don't have them on me right now i think I, i posted them on twitter a little while ago um but they're they're very similar in terms of like color and everything to like how the final panels mm. sort of were laid out. Um, so yeah, I guess I approached yeah story stuff first and then very quickly um, art because I I think just in general the two I the comics I enjoy the most are when the story and the art are kind of really wedded together mm. and you use the art in the storytelling because um, you can tell sometimes when it's not like I don't want to. Like there are different ways of approaching this because there are diff- there are different balances and stuff, but then there are stories that you can tell they could just function as a text story, yeah. and the the images that go alongside them are more or less illustrations in a book. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, that's that's my opinion on that. <laughs> um, what was the first comic you remember reading? Was it the Sonic the Comics? Yeah, uh, yes, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, I think I did occasionally read like the Beano or something like that when I was a little kid, but I never enjoyed it as much as Sonic, just because <laughs> it's like much more like I don't know. It was like all this sci-fi stuff. I didn't really, I didn't really want to read about like kids in school. I wanted to read about like hedgehogs fighting robots and Dennis and Nasha mixed together create Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> so this might sound like a weird question, but it's a question coming from somebody who didn't grow up with arty parents mm-hmm. at all, but was there ever a comic that you read where you were like, shit, this is a comic? Does that make any sense? Mm. Yeah, you don't. You wouldn't have to have been young. It could have been, you know. So I read Beano and Danny when I grew up, but mm-hmm. my answer to that question was mm. Sandman. Okay. Not to be pretentious, because that was literally the first comic that I read. Mm. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Mm. I think the first one... I read like that was or that, that I read and was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, or like not, 
in a pretentious way, be like, this is art kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas I got bought, um, like they started publishing the, the English translations of Nausicaa, like the comics of Nausicaa. Um, and my dad bought me them all in succession, like over, I can't remember how long it would, it felt in my memory. It's like over a really long period of time because we literally had to like wait for the later ones to come out. Um, so I think it would have been, I can't actually remember which year he finished them in. So this is how Hayao Miyazaki's Nausicaa, uh, which is like an epic, again, post-apocalyptic. I, a lot of stuff I'm into is like that kind of stuff, but it's this post-apocalyptic kind of science fiction fantasy um, set in like a, like a sort of ruined world where like pollution has sort of destroyed civilization, basically. Bug one. Uh, yeah with the big bugs with the lots of eyes um there is he's he's trying to get me to watch that film (laughs) okay yeah no the film's the film's really good as well like it's the first ghibli film i think or is it even ghibli well actually (laughs) it's slightly before ghibli yeah it gets it gets kind of retroactively put in because it's like all the team they just hadn't like named the studio yet yeah castle Um, in the sky was the first i see it all comes around um (laughs) Yeah, it's that. So that was the first thing I I think I read, and I was like, "This is amazing." But even, honestly, even then, it was ticking a lot of the same boxes that ticked that that were ticked in my brain by Sonic the Comic because yeah. they're they're both these really, just long epic like multi part stories where like characters go on journeys and there's like there's a lot of peril in both of them, and I think I responded to that a lot. You were tweeting. Uh, uh... Recently, about um, Ursula Le Guin, mm, yeah, and how you wished you could have shown her homunculus, yeah. And I was really interested. I remember when she died that you uh, were giving you you did some really nice tributes, eulogizing, yeah. Um, and I was just interested in that. Like, I'm I've not I only know her fantasy really. Mm-hmm. And Earth even there, even then, not very like through other sources. Justin's mm-hmm. reading them at the moment. Oh, okay. So I was just like interested in that connection, that influence. Hmm. Yeah. What with the Ghibli thing? Because obviously well, there's the... a Ghibli adaptation of. Yes, that's uh, true. Although, which isn't very good, I don't think. But um, just like how how, how that connection to your own work. Yeah. Um. So I only, like, relatively recently started sort of. Uh, I read one of her books every so often, but I'm always like super affected by them whenever I am. I think I read. So I read, I've mostly read her sci-fi books, so there's a book called The Dispossessed, one called The Left Hand of Darkness, and one recently, the, the one that I tweeted about the other day, which was The Lathe of Heaven, um, and I've, I've read one of the Earthsea books, and I do, I really like it as well, but I'm more in love with her, uh, her sci-fi works, because they're, they're really, like, politically motivated, like, they're, they're very... I don't know, like, um, the, the Dispossessed basically just describes this, like, uh, anarchic society, like, an, like a society that is legit anarchy, mm. but in it, but in, like, a constructive good way, which is, uh, but, it, you know, they show it warts and all, uh, and then there's The Left Hand of Darkness has some amazing stuff as well. I don't know, it's, with her, it's so, I have the same thing with her and another, Anima- another artist, an animator called Satoshi Kon, where there's something about their work where I look at their work and I'm, I feel like 
like a some kind of weird spiritual connection to them like this like i just get the sense that these that this person is like me or this person is of a like mindset to me mm-hmm. um and with the ursula Le Guin thing um i was uh, like as i was writing homunculus i was like oh man i should like I should try and send a copy of this to like, I should find her, you know, find out who, who her agent is or who her publisher is or, or whatever. Cause I'm sure, you know, she's So she came up in like, um, communities that were like, I think she, she was like mates with George R. R. Martin or something like that. So she kind of came up in those communities of like fan, like early, uh, f- f- sort of amateur authors, like fan fiction kind yes. of stuff. If you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Um, like, so I think she would have been receptive to it, and I think she would have liked it. Um, and she literally died like right before it came out, and I was like, like I said on Twitter, it was like it felt a bit selfish of me to like make this this like person's death like oh I didn't get a chance to sort of do this thing, but like yeah, that that was something that crossed my mind. Um, and I was glad uh, there were a couple of people who responded to that tweet actually who said that that they could see the influences on that book specifically so that felt really nice um i don't know do you have any do you guys have any like authors or anything that you that you'd like sort of responded to in, in that way <laughs> i don't want to no, turn it back around the, the immediate i don't know the immediate thing that came to mind one one earth author that i loved a lot was scott mcleod mm-hmm. that was like comics wise his making and understanding comics mm-hmm was very good and then I read the sculptor and mm. I don't want to meet him anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um a non salty answer. <laughs> no, I, I I there's there's lots of like actors and uh like musicians and like lots of people I'd love to collaborate with mm. and make something together. Um there's actually a lot of artists too, like I definitely want to sort of move into writing mm-hmm. because I've got just like a list of artists that I like I know the perfect book for you to draw with. Mm. Uh and like the stuff like that. Um I just thought I just thought it was an interesting uh connection that I thought was very sweet. Mm. Um I think sometimes when you where creators are striving to give people the feeling that they got from something else yeah like we talked about that before when, when you say you're influenced by people it's not always like oh it's steven universe when they're pointing at the way i've drawn something <laughs> yeah but like it can be just trying to like i want you to cry or i want you to laugh in the same way i did mm. Mm. yeah no totally um and that's that's definitely that's a a feeling i had with Le Guin's work i'd really if i had to recommend any one thing i'd recommend you both read the Left Hand of Darkness. That's I'll try been and recommended to me before. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'm, try and yeah. find it or lend it to you or something like that. It's such a lovely book. Um, I'm very keen yeah. to read that. Um, so, what is your favourite comic at the moment? At the moment? Um, is this, like, is this specifically that I've read recently or just... Doesn't no. have to be. <laughs> okay. Uh, Whatever came to mind it was when because, we asked that question. Hmm. It was a way of making what's your favourite comic less daunting. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, lately, well, I think what, the thing that came to mind when I read this um, was a comic that I read recently that I really, really liked, uh, or an artist's work that I really liked, which is, um, do you know Carolyn Novak? No- Novak? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, she wrote Girl Town, oh, which is yes. an anthology of yeah. stories. 
Um, and there's a few other one-offs as well. Um, she's also also Eisner nominated, um, <laughs> so we're in, in the same boat there. Um, I mostly know people by their work and their Twitter icons, <laughs> yeah. and not their names. Yeah, we should. I always think, have they done this at, like at conventions before, where they get people to wear like badges of their current Twitter icons? They did that at Nine Worlds. They used to do. Mm, I think that's that. That has always struck me as like a good idea because I've always tried to make my business cards the same. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like pin them or something. Mm. I don't know. I think I've given somebody a business card in years. Like so many people <laughs> ask for them at conventions, and we just don't. We never have any. <laughs> but yeah. It's, a... it's really interesting. So I used to go to a bunch of conventions. I used to get a bunch of cards. Mm. And never do anything with them. Yeah. <laughs> but now tattoo conventions, I've actually been going and getting a bunch of cards uh, and making actively making time to go through and go through all of them mm-hmm. and add them to my reading lists and whatever. Mm. Um, and that's been really interesting because I used to think business cards were pointless. Mm. They're a way of being expensive. able to leave someone's table without buying something yeah. and not feel totally guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm definitely coming back. Yeah. <laughs> but also, but since I've started practicing actually following up on people that I've liked enough to take a business card, also I think because I know how much they cost, I don't take them just to be polite anymore. Yeah. I like unless I know I'm gonna get this artist. Yep. Like mm. I don't take them because mm. they cost money. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Blank is really good as a table convention. Blank is my wife, uh, but she also makes art and comics herself as well. So, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> we're hoping to have her on uh, in due course. Yeah, no, she's she's cool. Um, but yeah, she's really she's a lot more. Um, she's more forward in terms of getting sales at conventions, which I, I appreciate because I'm I'm probably a little bit too sort of pusillanimous about it and just like oh you don't have to buy anything if you don't want to kind of thing. But uh, she is very good at if if people ever ask for um, business cards, she'll always say like. Oh, we're, they're on, our the details are on the back on the of the postcards. If you want to buy a postcard, they're only one pound. And then sometimes they buy postcards. So it's, mm. yeah. Well, tip for you, all you <laughs> con goers out there. Uh, but yeah. So your favourite comic? Oh yeah, so it's uh, Girl Town, which I brought with me, actually. Um, Have you got a copy as well? I saw one on a shelf. This one. I think I might. Be yeah. uh, it's just amazing. Um... It's got a very good cover. I love the cover. Uh, <laughs> Truth coming out of farewell to shame mankind. Um, I think that that's a character in one of the stories, but I don't believe it's a scene that happens within the book. Um, maybe that's spoilers. I don't know. I guess I'm reviewing or you know talking about it, so I should spoil it. But um... I covers the reason why I mentioned your cover. Mm. And that's a very good cover. Covers are such a problem for me. Yeah. And. Uh, I've trapped myself into franchise like so Pantheon Delendia they're both slightly ongoing mm-hmm. things so I've kind of like trapped what those covers look like and they will have to be variations of that Yeah, and I hate them <laughs> like I so wish no. I could have my dream for Delendia is there'll be three books and eventually get to republish them with just like Barney's face Norman's face Pugler's face or whatever because I really love just and I love both of these covers because mm. it's just they're not necessarily scenes that are in the book, mm-hmm. but they could be a panel, and they're just very well thought out and restrained. And I always want to show every single character possible and make it like an <laughs> Infinity War poster with just like faces. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why there are cover artists. Yes, sure, yeah. 
I just want to get better at it. We yeah. always, I should, I, we should all strive to get better at everything. Sure, yeah. All right, down with that. Um, but yeah, I just, I really love, like, I love the way, which is with Girl Town. I really love the way it's drawn. Uh, I love the stories. Like, I'm not even sure if I can describe, like, give it a go. With, yeah, I will. <laughs> um, with um, what some some stuff that just succeeds in comics sometimes. I think that's one thing is that like. I already find it quite difficult to like talk about um, writing, like what makes a certain sentence good, or you know that stuff, or what makes a certain picture pretty to me. Um, but I think with comics, I found that difficulty is kind of compounded because there's just some combinations of words and images that can kind of make you feel a certain way that is kind of indescribable. And there's something that she does that is that is that. Mm. Um, and also, it's just, like, very, very good draftsmanship. Like, that's, like, in addition to everything else, it's just very well-drawn. Like, the colours are beautiful, the, the the lines are incredible. Like, it's it's just a good book, and I'd really, really strongly recommend it uh, to anyone who has the opportunity to buy it. Uh, but, yeah. Have you... Have either, you haven't read no, it? No, I've never. I haven't read it. I think it was in my pile. We mm. went clothes... Clothes? We went <laughs> comics shopping, where we are like, we're going to spend lots of money on all the books that we've been meaning to pick up, and mm. I think that's one of them. Hmm. It's telling that I can't remember the full extent of my list. Hmm. Sometimes I think I've bought things really, really strongly. What, and you haven't? Yeah. Right. <laughs> or I've just like pre-ordered something months ago, and then I buy it because I don't have it, and then it comes. <laughs> yeah. That's happened more than once. Okay. So, uh, something else that we ask um, is, if you could pick a comic that explains yourself to somebody else... Or as a part of your soul, mm. what would it be? Uh, so, the I know the one I suggested. I I did it on on this one a lot. Uh, I I ended up going with my original sort of one that I went for, even though I think it's I basically it's a comic that I haven't read in a long time, and I reread it recently because I was talking to Hamish about it, and it struck me that it's incredibly bleak like it's maybe one of the bleakest things I've ever read and but at the same time I wanted to talk about the author a lot because he's a really big influence on me and it's uh, Chris Ware his book specifically the book I think it's just called Lint um I think I lent it to Hamish actually so it's it's here somewhere um you lent you lent me lint I lent lint to you yes so it would um, be really interesting going from a why would you pick that and now now why do you not feel that necessarily reflects you uh but I mean I got really into Chris Ware's work when I was in college um so this was around for me around 2004 ish um and he was at the time he was being like I think he just won what book was it a booker there was he won hit like Jimmy Corrigan, which was like the the big doorstop kind of yeah, yeah. opus magnum that he put out was like had been nominated for like an actual book prize, and it was like whenever that periodically happens to a graphic novel, it's always like a big like oh, it's this you know they've they've what's happening to literature? Yeah, well, and yeah, there, there's that from the literature crowd, but then there's also the comics crowd being like, oh look, we're it's, it's, <laughs> we're making it's elevating it, it, yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so that one was was doing the rounds and. I remember being like, like, just on the surface impressed by how he sort of made the pictures. Um, just because even even then I was a bit of a sort of control freak in terms of stuff. So his his like very clean lines and very clean colors really appealed to me. 
Um, and then, I don't know, it's just like, it's, it's very, yeah, very depressing stuff. And I think it really spoke to me as, I guess, as a person who, who was and is <laughs> like depressed. So there's, there's a lot of themes, there's a lot of subtlety there. It's very dense. Um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in terms of using layout to kind of show the passage of time, things like that. I don't know, just, I honestly, it's, it's, this is what I mean. It's like, I find it difficult to describe exactly what it was that spoke to me about it, but there was just something that drew, drew me very, very strongly to it. Um, kind of like, like with Le Guin. Um, and all the more when I, when I sort of read more about him as a, as a person, because as well as, uh, putting out comics, um, he also, they, they, like a little bit later, like a few years later, they started publishing, I think it's called the Acme Novelty Date, date yeah, Book. his sketchbooks. Yeah. Which um, was after Jimmy Corrigan, his sketchbooks were my proper introduction to Chris Ware. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so when those came out, um, that, like, kind of changed, I mean, maybe, maybe I should say that, like, even, they're not really, like, comic books particularly, but they really changed the trajectory of, like, how I worked after that point, um, because it's really interesting. If you look at his finished work, it's like super, super clean, mm. super sterile. You you, you might say. I think um, sterile is a perfect word for it. Yeah, um, and then you look at his uh, sketchbooks, and they're just like these shivery, like like scratchy, crosshatchy, like ugly things. Like all these like gross draw, like, like biological. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I'm, I'm not a good not necessarily a, an auspicious comparison to make, but it is kind of crummy, like, in the way that, like, the way they, they sort yeah. of, he builds forms and stuff. Um, but not gross. Yeah. Not, I mean, well, kind of gross. Kind of gross sometimes, not, like... Yeah, um, not but, as bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then, more recently, I re like, and that comic specifically, Lint, is a really great comic, uh, and it actually influenced, like, in terms of its structure, it influenced Homunculus a lot because of its uh, part of a broader series of stories that he did uh about the inhabitants of this of this town um in america i'm not geographically literate enough to, to tell you where in america but it's it's in this i think it's northeast like it's very it's always very cold and snowy in his stories so mm -hmm. i'm assuming somewhere to the to the north um but this like this book lint is literally the the life of a character called uh jason lint i think his name is um so the book's named after him. And it literally starts with the the birth of the character. And it's all told kind of in visual language that reflects the age of the character and his kind of mindset. So it it literally starts, first of all, with like just dots on a page and everything's very abstract. Mm. And then the images the image of his mother and his father starts forming like very simply. Um, and then it gradually it works its way back into Chris Ware's like <laughs> like standard style mm. um and then it goes all the way through his life until he he like dies at the end and you you see him die and that's just the end of the the, the comic and i was really like wow this is amazing when i first read that um and yeah just going back to it more recently um i think so this is something i felt about my own work sorry if i'm rambling by the way um, literally interviewing. Yeah, yeah, but like I know I'm I'm rambling a little bit. Um, it's some it's something I thought about my own work, and I guess maybe it reflects a change that I've I've felt in my own work a little bit more recently, where uh, I think before a certain period in in time, I I really I liked a lot of media that 
kind of wallowed in in the sort of the more depressive stuff a little bit and uh that book i feel does do that like not a lot of good stuff happens in it yeah and at the time i kind of read that as profundity kind of like oh it's so deep it's so it's uh it's it's moving i think it is it's still deep and moving i i genuinely still think that but now i think i feel like i care more about whether an author like is it worth putting that out into the world or is it mm. worth trying to put something sort of better out into the world uh yeah i totally agree and i understand i think um something i really got from his sketchbooks was how crippling de crippling depressed he was mm. um and how much i admired him and loved him and to, to see this artist who i think is like you know on the top of one of my pedestals mm -hmm. really really struggling mm. at a young age when i was also struggling yeah. was heartening mm -hmm. and i needed that at that time yeah but looking back now, I'm just quite sad for him. Yeah. And I'm sad that he feels that way because I'm no longer that person in that world anymore. Mm. So, yeah. That's that's a really good way of, of, of yeah, describing it, I think. Um, yeah. And, and it's worth bearing in mind with these things as well. I think with anything anyone writes uh, or produces, like, it's a product of them as they were in that moment at that one time. So I don't want to, like, I don't want to look at, the Acme Novelty Datebook stuff, like, because these are like these are sketchbooks that he would, I think they go from when he was at uni basically, until like quite a bit, like a little bit after that, um, and it's it's very possible that you know his his outlook and stuff has changed a lot since then, and I think it probably has changed a lot since then, um, so it's it's worth bearing that in mind, I think, but um, yeah, it's it's um, it's weird going back to it, um, I still love it a lot. Um, I still recommend, I always recommend, um, the Acme Novelty Datebook stuff to, like, anyone who's wanting to draw more, because I feel like it just, sh it shows you a way of, kind of, approaching sketchbooking that, mm. that is quite, sort of, like, oh, it can be like that, that's cool, like, it, it, it can be, kind of, you, it shows you a way of approaching keeping a sketchbook that I think is, um, like, constructive to people who don't really know how to do that. Yeah. Well, one of my first pieces of advice that I give to anybody who asks me about how can I get into drawing, I'm like, get a sketchbook, get the shittiest sketchbook you can find mm. with decent enough paper, mm. get it for two quid, and it's not special. That sketchbook is not your piece of work yep. that you will reflect in yourself. It's mm -hmm. not your special bastion, which I used to think was my sketchbook. Yeah, yeah. It's just a shitty thing for you. Mm -hmm. Don't show anybody. Like, it's just for you. And, like, yeah. No, totally. No, that's that's such. I think that's great advice. Um, and it's funny as well. I think in the forewords to one of them, I can't like because I think there's two volumes of it, and I think one of them he talks about uh, his publisher, like him. Him, he says because he's very self-effacing, which is another thing that drew me to him initially. <laughs> um, like to a fault, obviously, sometimes perhaps. Uh, but he he's like moaning about like, uh, oh, like. I could only use like I look through all my sketchbooks and I can only use like one out of every five pages, <laughs> and it's like and I think it, it is worth like it's you know he, to him he, this is like the cream of the, the the cream of his sketchbook crop you know yeah. and I think it's worth bearing that in mind in this in this day of social media 
you know, this day and age. Um, perfect finished sketchbook pages yeah well like all the stuff you see is everyone's a game you know and i think it's worth bearing in mind that everyone curates like nobody well i i, I s sincerely distrust people who like i distrust that people the idea that people can constantly like churn out just perfect work you know or good work even like yeah. you gotta like they're failing somewhere. Don't worry. They're like they're just not yeah. showing you the failure stuff. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Hamish, do you have any uh, hot takes about Chris Ware at all? You don't have to say them. No, no, you don't have to. I'm just genuinely. I'm curious. I really love his art. Mm. I've not made it to the end of any of his books. Mm. I actually genuinely find his pages really difficult to read. I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting from them. Mm. I don't. They make me not feel smart enough. <laughs> slash yeah. like I so it was a movie called Precious mm. uh, and when people found out that it's not based on a true story it people started thinking about it in a very different way because something about Precious is like literally everything that anything bad that can happen to someone happens to yep. her mm -hmm. um, and while that could be true if it was a true story, it'd be, oh my god. Mm -hmm. But it feels very unfocused, and it feels like misery for misery's sake. Mm. And had I read his diaries and known, I feel like I wasn't sure in a few of the books why I was supposed to care. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, this is a very sad, horrible man who lived a horrible, sad life mm -hmm. and then dies great and the thing is like i i i totally see the value in that and i wish i could enjoy that but mm. i don't think it's for me but yeah. i do love his illustration work mm. and whenever he's done like covers and just standalone things does those new yorker covers he turns yeah. those out like those, those are beautiful adrian Tomine. but like <laughs> if you are influenced by chris ware in your comic work mm. I think you're better at comics than him. <laughs> oh, that's, that's sweet of you to say. Although I I do worry because I've I have I've met him once. At, he was at Elkaf a few years ago, and I was very this is like, I was very starstruck, obviously at the time. Mm. But um, uh, he doesn't have like you know a Twitter or anything like that. But I I worry he'll he'll find this news <laughs> and just like well that's I'm not the... I'm not even like slagging him off. I don't feel like I'm slagging him off. Yeah, but, no. Um, um, I also think that's the horror of this podcast in general. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, Putting your opinions out into that industry. Yeah. Um, you know, we've said many times that anyone that does comics I admire in some degree. Hmm. Yeah. Um, We're all part of the same mad club. Mm -hmm. club. Yeah. And it's a very small, very, very small world. Mm. Um, but no, I, I think he's tremendously talented. Mm. I think I, I would be very, very surprised if Chris Webb thought his books were designed for like mass appeal that everyone can enjoy. Yeah. I think they're very specific and it sounds like both of you discovered his work at particular times where it was very impactful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At a time where maybe to me it was more detrimental. Mm. <laughs> I well, mean, more... how old was the first time you read anything by Chris Ware? I was probably 19, 20. Yeah. Um, and I think also the way I, I was 
told to read Jimmy Corrigan because it's the greatest book ever made. Yeah, right. that's good. And that's not that. gonna. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very good, but it's not my type of my cup of tea. It took me, like, I, don't know, I, I, it sounds like a brag. Well, like this, it sounds like a sort of brag, but it's it took me like two or three attempts to read Jimmy Corrigan. It's it's kind of like one of those books, I think, and I do think and it's part of that whole. I I wish I knew which specific literature prize that it that it won for you know for that book, but um, I think it's part of that. People sometimes see uh, difficulty in it's media. Ulysses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, and they mistake that, or not even mistake it for like being profound or you know a fine work of art, but like maybe makes them think it's like a little bit of a finer work of art than it actually is. I don't know. You get to be in the club of people that understand Jimmy Corrigan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I oh, I get Donnie Darko, man. You yeah. know, I get. I never will. Um, last question yeah mm. this is our final question mm. um, what is a piece of advice no matter how big or small mm. that you'll always remember receiving um, about five minutes ago when Mel said <laughs> you shouldn't be precious with your with your sketchbooks it's um, good advice yeah, it you're is not precious with your sketchbooks I love your sketchbooks yeah no well like I can't yeah I'm, no no I, I think it's good advice is all I'm saying uh, other than that were, I think, honestly, it is, it's probably some variant on that. Like, there's that Chuck Jones quote. I mean, there's, there's a lot of these quotes that are kind of attributed to, like, various people, depending on the, you know, who's recounting them. But I've heard it as a Chuck Jones quote, which is that, like, everyone has, uh, you know, 10,000 bad drawings in them, and you have to get them out of you so that you can get to the good ones. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's, like, a facile way of looking at it. But, like, just drawing, drawing a lot into, like... In, in terms of, like, storytelling or comics making. Uh, Even just art. Yeah. Art I don't know. Or life. Life. Just good advice in life. Um, do your taxes early in the year. <laughs> that is good advice. Um, try and brush your teeth twice a day. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, just draw a lot. Um in terms of writing, I'm trying to think of something to do with like storytelling. Sorry, this is something I probably should have thought more about. Um, don't worry. But yeah, I don't know. Try and make art that you know leaves the world in a better place than you found it. I don't know. That's like, but even that's very like very noble sounding, isn't it? But is it something that you put into your own work? I do. I try to. Well, then. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one thing I, w- I was going to say earlier, just like briefly, because I know this is the last question, but with The Hunter, if you read The Hunter, it's quite a... I feel like that's... It's quite a grim book. Like, it's about a bad man who does bad things and then bad stuff happens to him. Uh, and I think a deliberate... I made a deliberate effort with Homunculus. Not, like, bad things still happen in it. Um, but I feel like the sort of angle of it as a story like goes upwards rather mm. than kind of going like down. Uh, I I just mimed with my hand <laughs> when I just if, in case people didn't know what that sound was. Um, so I, s- I try I try to write something nicer, a little bit with a like with a better heart to it in this book. Mm. Yeah, I sometimes think everyone's work is a reaction to the last thing they did. Yeah, like I got that out of my system and now I just want to draw this or mm-hmm. just want to write about this. Mm. 
That's yeah. an interesting way of looking at it, yeah. I need to write more stuff. I've only written, like, I've written very, very little in the grand scheme of things. So I need to f just follow my advice and draw more and just write more. And easier said do than more done. Stuff. Yeah, it is. It's a lot easier said than done, but still got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> what else are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, where can people find your stuff, you? Uh, my Twitter is probably the, the place I'm most active at the moment, which is at Torpordust, so T-O-R-P-O-R dust, all one word. Um, just Joe Sparrow on there. I guess I have a Tumblr, which is like, if you search for Joe Sparrow on Tumblr, you'll find me on there. I also have an Instagram, but I'm kind of using Instagram more for just, like, photographs of clouds and stuff like that so it's not like if you want like drawings it's probably not a good place to follow uh so, but yeah twitter is probably the the main place to, to look is the hunter quite hard to get hold of now or uh, is it still on the no-brow site you know what? i don't know i believe it's still on the no-brow site um i'm actually not sure yeah there'll, there'll be copies of it on there um i'm not sure if it's it's not super easy to find in comic shops anymore but i think you can still buy it online you can also buy Homunculus online through the Shortbox store. Um, I'm sure if... Like, I think if you go on my Twitter, it's like the pinned tweet is to the store. Um, as well as like f like a lot of other very good comics are published by Shortbox as well. Um, so definitely don't just buy The Hunter. Like there are, there, Don't just buy Homunculus. There are other good ones as well. Uh, uh, there's also a digital version of The Hunter, if people are into mm. that. I don't know. That, the animated one, right? Yeah, yeah I like, because yeah. I, I do animation as well. That's like, in addition to comics. Um, so, yeah. If you follow my Twitter, you'll find all of that stuff, probably, at some point. But, yeah. Thank you very much for being our first interviewee test guinea pig. Oh, and for having such okay. lovely thought-out answers to our questions. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for asking me to come and talk about things. It was very nice. And I hope I didn't ramble too much. You did not. And you're our best guest yet. Alright, let's wrap it up. Goodbye, everyone. Later, bitches. <laughs> You've been listening to Full Bleed. You can follow us on Twitter at FullBleedPod, where you'll also find our individual accounts. Thanks for listening.